Hey, everybody, and welcome to a new edition of the award-winning Talking About Cars, where it's all about everybody has a car story, from celebrities to car personalities that have great car stories to tell. I'm Randy Cardoon, and before we introduce you to this week's guest, thanks go out to the International Automotive Media Registry for honoring Talking About Cars with two awards for excellence. A silver medallion for our Best of 2016 podcast, which you can download right here on Radio.com, Play.it, and KNX1070.com. And a bronze medallion for our Best of 2016 video podcast produced by Julian White, which you can watch at TalkingAboutCars.net. Now, this week, we head to Long Beach for a look at the RMD Garage and its owner, Ralph Holguin, who turned a professional detailing business into a sprawling car building and marketing empire, and into a TV show as well on Discovery's Velocity Network that showcases his adventures and those of his workers building some wild rides and telling some wild stories. So Ralph, let's start off with that rather confining story about your first car. So one of the first cars I could remember that I still have an affinity for is my 1962 Carmen Ghia, which uh, which was really cool. Imagine being a teenager and all of a sudden you have the coolest car because it was it was really nice. Powder blue, a deep blue interior, and it was just laid out perfectly enough. It's got its smoothies on there and it just looked like a California beach car, so it was so perfect. I love the story from high school. You were saying that you got a lot of people in it at one point. Yeah, you know, one one particular time, there was these uh, young ladies that needed a ride, and uh, one of the young ladies I was talking to at the time said, hey, my girlfriends need a ride. Let's pile them in. She drove, which was really cool, and then all her girlfriends surrounded. So three three of us or four of us in the front somehow and four in the back. I mean, it was it was pretty wild. It was pretty wild. Okay, I, I just want to get that visual for everybody listening out there. Okay, so seven girls come up and say, hey, I want to get a ride. One of them drove. Yeah. Where were you sitting? I was sitting passenger with, I believe, two young ladies sitting uh, passenger with me. And there was, uh, so let me just tell on you. your lap, perchance? Yeah, on my lap, perchance. Uh, but let me tell you, there was uh, a lot of bottoming out on that, on that ride home, which hurt all the way home. Uh, couldn't wait to get young ladies out. And I, I remember a lot of heads leaning forward, and they actually weren't in the back because their heads were so, you got, you got to remember, this is a Gia. You know, they, were, they, they, they crammed in there somehow, and it, it, was, it was really funny. I wish we would have had a picture, but visually we have it. Now, you talked a lot about uh, the fact that your parents came from Mexico and you came here when you were four years old. I mean, at one point, what were they driving? Do you remember one of their first cars? My parents had, which was the really coolest thing, which was a Ford uh, Econoline and it, had, it, was, it was called the Peace Train. So somebody either gave it to them or, or they, they bought it. So here you have, I believe it was might have been a 72 Econoline Peace Train, huge sign on the side that said Peace Train. And it, looked like, it literally looked like the Soul Train van. So it was a cruiser van, basically, right? It was, no, it was a panel van, which was worse. So you couldn't see anywhere but out. And you remember those had the motor in the middle of your entire, uh, almost in the middle of your drivetrain. So we called it the gas chamber because we had to drive with a little bit of the wind, of the side doors open because the gas, the fumes inside would literally smoke us out. Oh my 
and uh and, and it was like it was torture to go in that van and that's what we jumped into and you remember i mean i i remember the 70s late 70s and 80s i mean there there was no seatbelt laws you jumped in you jumped in but my parents i ironically always had weird cars or cool cars that w would be really cool right now at that time my dad had a, a 72 ford pickup and uh, i believe they had uh a, a Maverick? Do you remember a Maverick? Oh yeah. oh yeah, and I think the Maverick was really fast. I do remember my my friends telling me, "Get the Maverick, get the Maverick," and I would haul butt down the road. It's hard to believe we we got into the Maverick and we said, "Oh man, that's just like a boring car." But in other countries, that's basically their Mustang. Have you seen like yeah. in, like in South America and yeah. stuff? Yeah, that's the muscle, and it had some muscle. It had some get up and go. Um, and you know, I mean, it was just a cool thing. And every car, for some reason, would get named. So we had the peace train, and we had the booger, and we had the tomato, and whatever the. Whatever. Go back to the booger. Was that the Maverick? That was the Maverick. It was a green Maverick. So that was everybody would call. I mean, we we would never like name cars for what they were. It was always naming them something else. Tomato. I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was this weird red car with a white canvas or white vinyl top um and and you know they had the, oh god i wish i could remember what car that was but man that was the tomato and we knew we were jumping in the tomato i gotta go back to the booger uh i mean when you started naming him that or whoever in your family did uh the, my brothers yeah okay so the reaction of mom and dad okay what are you calling this the what <laughs> you know what i don't think they ever cared um it was it was when we got the cars what are you taking what do you you know and I was the youngest, so my brother said, hey, jump into the booger, we're taking it. <laughs> so it was, it was the stupidest thing. Uh, yeah, we, we, we had good times, though, good times. Very cool. And, and of course, it's really, uh, everybody's got a car story is our thing. And, and it's so funny because how we grow up are the cars we remember and the cars sometimes that we want later in life. You ever want to go find a Maverick and do something to that? You know, not the Maverick, but the Peace Train I do. For sure, I want to find. It's funny because I was at a show this weekend, uh, it's past weekend, and I saw uh, an Econoline just like it, uh, and they won Best Restoration. Man, I'll tell you, as much as we hated that van, those are great memories. Those are really great memories of all of us as a family packing in, getting ready to go somewhere, somewhere whether we were going to the beach, going to the park, and uh, yeah, of course, we almost died on the way there and by, from carbon monoxide, but, but the adventure. So yeah, the peace train is something that I think one day I'm going to have to dig out or find or rebuild and then uh, and be able to show it to the family. I think that's really cool. Was your experiences with cars one of the reasons you got into the whole um, car detailing industry? Or was there something else you wanted to be when you were growing up? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I wanted to be, and I pretty much knew in my head that I would be a detective. And, uh, and, or, or uh, you know, I used to say, I'm going to be a police officer, but then I'm going to become an FBI agent. I was always investigating things. I thought I was the best investigator in my, in my neighborhood. But um, cars really came to me. And I, and I have been around cars my entire life. My brother, my parent, my father, they were always wrenching on cars. Um, but for me, it was really when I, when I found myself hitting hard times and tried to, and started detailing at the age of 16. And, I, and then I kind of saw what cars did to people. 
I really understood uh, how much they meant to people. And, I, and, and it's a specific moment in my life on that end was this elderly lady that I did her car. Um, she dropped it off, then came back to pick it up, completely did an, an amazing miracle work on that car. And she started crying with her best friend and how emotional she was receiving her car. And I'll tell you, that moved me and it changed me forever to say, wow, I'm going to be in this service because I see what it does to people. So it, it really drove that affinity to want to be able to, to give people that experience. So how did you get from detailing cars to what was the next step on your way to doing what you're doing now? The best part about when I started detailing cars and at the age of 19 is I really set my wheels into motion to succeed or fail, it was gonna be on me. And I really, really became, I really became methodical in my work ethic. And I said, do it, do it. And and I was, I was you know, you kind of go through all those trials and tribulations of life. And you've, I found, had found myself really, really in hard times. And that decision that I made was really pinnacle for me because I remember really saying to myself, you are in charge of yourself. No one owes you nothing. The world doesn't owe you anything go get it, do everything that you can. And if you fail, know that you gave it all you had. And if you succeed, know why you, why you succeeded, right? So I stayed in that world. And before you knew it, um, detailing took me into automotive launches. Automotive launches took me around the United States. When you say automotive launches. So I became a support um, from car prep, right? So in the industry, they call it car prep. So I became the detailer and then I became the car prep guy going, getting hired to go to different shows and prep cars for different shows. Then I became the guy that can set up the shows and do the car prep and facilitate and organize and logistically do all the planning. Next thing you know, I blow up and we blow up. RMD grows into a huge marketing arm for all the automotive launches or manufacturers launching vehicles so um we're we're, we're everywhere we're we're working with ford we're working with uh, the top auto manufacturers on all their car prep but logistically also coordinating all that so i never leave the world of cars and then it gives me the ability to start building some of my dreams right so i start building cars with friends and start doing so hobby you you kind of have a little bit of money to do some of the hobby things that you love to do and it takes you back to to um to that moment where you're building and building this camaraderie with your guys and you're kind of starting so that really is what launches you know what is now rmd garage when you were kind of trying to figure out where you wanted to go and do uh, uh, not only RMD Garage, but also eventually do a TV thing, were you kind of patterning yourself after something you saw? Or when was the moment when you were, were you watching TV and you were watching, I don't know, uh, one of the shows that are on Velocity or any other station or the old speed TV? What was it that gave you the inspiration to look at that and say, you know, I want to do that? You know, I don't think it was that. I think I think I had really, I had really built um, something that was for me that was so meaningful out of nothing, um, and and I really had and I really had taken the American dream, and squeezed it for all its juice. Very quickly, I understood that I had a platform. I was unique in the sense that I broke so many barriers. 
I broke away from the stereotypical that really expected me to not accomplish much. And I had said it in a younger age, maybe, maybe, maybe when, maybe when I was 26. And, and, and I remember that time, it was really pinnacle in my life. I had made the most money I had ever made. And the reality was, is what are you going to do with it, Ralph? What are you going to do? And what's going to define you? So I set wheels into motion to start being an advocate and a voice. And I started to say, talk to the youth, talk to the youth, talk to the youth, be a mentor, do whatever you can, but be heard, tell your story. So when Velocity came and uh, they started to, to kind of, uh, well, I was found on YouTube, which was unique. Um, and they, they set up a meeting, came here. Now talk about what you were doing on YouTube before. So I built a 1956 F100. We built it in six months. We built it side, a little bit of the, of, uh, of, of in our garage and then in a garage, you know? So it was a combination of both. And we take, we go to the Grand National Roadster show first time ever. And we win truck of the year. We put a coyote motor in it way ahead of its time. We do so much beautiful metal work. Every little inch is done. Not only does the truck look amazing, but the display looks amazing. Stainless steel mirror panels throughout. I mean, we literally, have this amazing opportunity to showcase ourselves on a completely different platform so unexpected and um and it really started to 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 grow this thing of man this is do this is so possible but what i did do me being a marketer is i documented that whole thing i shared that experience with the world of our build and that video, that video, even, you know, if you think about it way back in 2013, 2014, that video almost got 300,000 views. That's, that's pretty viral for a video across the world, getting, you know, getting messages from across the world on what an amazing truck. So that's how I was found. And when, um, when I started to think about being on, on Discovery Network and Velocity, it really said to me, come see who I am. Come see the essence of who I am. And then we can talk about if there's a possibility because you have to understand my culture, my agency, my, my creativity, and, and most of all, our work ethic, our work ethic. And if that's something that we can use and showcase and inspire people, then, then I want to be a part of it. And that's really why I chose at the end to be a part because I think Velocity Discovery, um, it's all about content, you know, and really getting the viewer to see to see that and and taking them through the journey. Now, I know I'm different. I know I'm completely different from any other shop, but that's my that's that's what makes me so unique. And that's what makes us all, all different. So unique is that we all have our individuality that sets us apart. Um, I want to have fun. I want to share my message. I want to share my story, but also have fun and do some amazing builds. The interesting thing for those people who are unfamiliar with RMD is the fact that when you come here or you see his business, it's more than just the fact that, you know, you can detail cars fine. You can build cars. A lot of people do that. But you've expanded into places I don't believe I've ever heard of, of a car guy doing. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, you know, our, our, our marketing arm and our design arm is really so unique to any, any garage for that matter. When you come in here, you're immediately infected by the creativity and the possibility. And you understand that it's much grander than, 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 than a garage. And by design, I've said it, I've said it that way so that, 
so that I realize that, that, that everyone has an affinity for something. And if I could have clients walk in here and they want me to build something for them that has nothing to do with automotive, and they look to the right and see the garage, all of a sudden they're in love. They're, it's an infectious environment that allows you to fall back in love and have a great memory. I've watched grown men go to my corner, corner wall and see the Schwinn crate bikes and cry because they remember their 70s with their best friends riding those Schwinn crates. I watch grown men sit and stare at a Harley Davidson that's here on display because they remember that moment. So there's something for everyone, pedal cars. So I've created a unique environment that allows emotion to run wild and it tugs at their heartstrings. I, I gotta say, I just looked over there for the first time and I looked at the bikes and he's got them hanging from the ceiling basically, but he's got them down in a row. Are those all of them? We're missing one bike and that's because a, col a, a collector had to have it, had to have it, made an offer we couldn't refuse. It was, it, was the, it was the cotton picker, the Schwinn crate cotton. The white one. Yeah. The white one. It's the only one missing out of the collection. But, but um, I, I had a Ram Soren. Do you have that? I don't have a Ram. That's the only one. But no, I, I've had a couple Rams. Uh, and the only one I got rid of recently that was unique, too, was the Manta Ray. Have you, did you ever see the Manta Ray? I've heard of it. I don't. Uh, yeah, and I don't know why I sold it, but uh, there was somebody begging me to sell it. But, uh, now, but what, what what was it about the Manta Ray that stood out? The Manta Ray was for the big boys. So if you were a little heavy set, the Manta Ray was the bike for you. It had a wider seat, uh, it had bigger rims, still had all the crate shifters, everything that uh, your normal crate had, but it had it had a, a lot stronger frame and wheels. You know, I I kind of know what happened to my old um, Ram's horn is um, drove it around in junior high school back when it was called junior high school um, I was working in Utah for a while I had a Honda 125 that I ended up selling and the guy goes oh I like this and I was moving and I thought okay I'll just get rid of it but but by that time it had the stingray handlebars on it and I still have the chain guard that says Ram's horn on it. I love that. I love that. As a matter of fact, funny you say that. I kept the chain guard from the white bike. I kept that upstairs. I gave him another one. Oops. Um, but yeah, so uh, for us, it's really always been uh, the love for everything. So we lo I love being able to design environments. I love being able to design pieces. And obviously now getting a chance to really dive into really finishing and designing the cars that we've wanted to do for a very long time. In your opinion, what basically is uh, more important? Is it the skill, is it the persistence, or is it the marketing to succeed? Ooh, I think it's a combination. I don't think they can. I don't think they can stand alone. You know, I think it's a, it's definitely a combination. You have to have, you know, you have to have skill, right, in order to showcase what you're doing and be able to have it come to light. I can't market something that's that that you don't believe in, um, and you got to have great marketing so that people can hear about it, all right. And then you got to have passion. At the end of the day, uh, you know. What really divides most people is, is that passion and that determination to, to, to not, and I always call it, I said, don't settle for mediocrity. It's not that we're chasing a fortune, but don't settle for mediocrity. Don't say, okay, that's okay. It, even though that door's not closing, right, that's okay. 
So I heard that I heard that just two days ago with the customer saying to me, I, I don't need the car to be all fit and finished perfectly. It's okay if the door doesn't close right. And I said, that's not okay. That's when I say we got to go above and beyond and not settle for, because it's supposed to close right. So let's figure out what it is and let's close it right. And that's just a metaphor and used in everything that we do in life, you know. I used to do a test to my employees and it's, 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 it's a funny thing, but you do. I used to sit in my old office, I used to sit upstairs prior to a Monday meeting and I would leave trash in the front door. And I would walk, watch 20 or 30 people walk in and I would watch one person pick it up. And, 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 and that to me was so important, but it was, but what was more important is to not to, to one, acknowledge that person, but also allow everyone else to say, look around guys, look around and don't get so fixated and so tunnel, tunnel vision that you forget not only look around for what's around you, but look around for who's around you. A simple hello, a simple gesture changes people's day. It allows them to really feel like they're a part of something. So there's a lot of little things. So I live by all those rules. I live by all those things that I feel um, sets us apart and really uh, uh, makes us so unique. And as you walk into our place, it's about love and passion, drive, determination, and most of all, creativity in an environment that, that we hope continues to blossom. We're talking with Ralph Holguin uh, of RMD Garage here on talking about cars. And again, I, I kind of wish I had a camera here in a sense to show you some of the things. We'll, we'll take pictures, of course, and just give you a gist of what it is on our social media sites. We talk about cars. What cars are in your garage? Ah, so right now in my garage, there's a 69 Camaro and a 69 Bronco. So two two of the coolest cars I think you could ever have. Are they straight Camaro? Is it a straight Camaro or have you redone it? Is it NSSRS? What is it? It, it is it is uh, it is a resto mod. Uh, it's black on black Alice three. It's absolutely beautiful, but it still has that still has all those beautiful classic touches. You know, American Racing made us some beautiful rally wheels and they still look stock, but they are they are they are tubbed. Uh, you know, they're, they're a little bit wider stance, everything. Um, now, the, the Bronco is completely that's urban madness. So that one's been that's episode one. That one's been completely changed out. But it's so unique and beautiful. And you know the best part? I'll tell you the best part about having cool cars like that. Anybody that's listening to this is going to agree. Is when your little girls or your son, but I have girls, say, take me to school in it, Dad. Please take me to school in it. That is to me... That is it. That's that. You could drive them to any show. You could do anything you want. But when they want you to take them to school in it just so they could be seen in a car like that, I'm like, done. That's that's exactly why we build beautiful cars. Wait till they come up to you later when they get older and go, Dad, could I uh, take the Camaro today or, or can I drive this to the car show? Oh, well, Tiffany, my 17-year-old, uh, attempts to take the Bronco any... I. I'll get home sometimes, open the garage to pull in another car, and she's sitting in the driver's seat with her best friends pretending to cruise. So that's, that's also super hilarious. 
so you know with instagram and all the snapchat stuff they're posting so you know they're pretending that they're out and, and about and that's also cool though um you know and yeah i look forward to them being able to drive the cars one day and enjoy them and you know teach them more about it uh, i love that they're able to come here and really understand the culture and uh and they've been around cars for enough, long enough to know that you know they're also they're also somewhat of jewels. At the end of the day, they are cars, but they mean a lot more to uh, to us than 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 just a, a a method of transportation. Car that you had somewhere down the line, you do not have anymore, that you would love to get back. Ooh, that's interesting. Although I'm pulling for booger. <laughs> Yeah, I I think I would go back. I think I would go back to the Gia. I think I think I keep I keep talking about it. I ran into one at Barrett Jackson. I did a story on it. Me and the wife went to a car show a couple of weeks ago. First thing we see is a Gia. We dart to it. I think that all all everything's all the gravity and everything is pulling me towards this Gia. And uh, I, I, I'm I'm pretty certain that it's in my future fairly quickly although although i didn't own one but i fell in love with the 53 chevy that i saw this uh this past weekend and uh man it's just it's just an amazing car 53 chevy coupe you know you know them they're really uh, you know the, their body lines are just so unique uh we're we're tempted to buy it the guy the one that kind of looks like a packard from the front it yeah it looks like a packard from the front uh, it's just got that beautiful teardrop feeling all the way back. Um, but you know what? I, I think I'm just a car lover in general. If I, if I could own a bunch of cars, you would believe that I would have maybe 50 to 60 cars. And, uh, and, and probably no wife, but I would have 50 to 60 cars. You had a chance to uh, work at Barrett-Jackson on the broadcast. And, and I thought that was very cool. How much fun was that? You know what? That was that was what I would call a moment in life, a dream come true. I mean, I've walked Barrett Jackson. You're always going through the through the cycle, and to be called up, it's almost like you know that baseball player being called up. That was the that was the best phone call I've gotten, and more than that was being able to be with such great people and understand their caliber of work and really blend in with them. And, and, you know, and, and, and at one point really um, bring them into a little bit of my passion and drive and watch them do segments with me was really cool. Chris Jacobs is amazing. We, we actually play golf a lot now. And, uh, and Christy Lee. But you talk about the, you know, all the guys have been doing this for so long and just having their respect and, uh, and being able to be on camera and really showcase the custom side of, of things. I, could, I couldn't, I mean, I, I can't wait to be invited back. That, that looked like a lot of fun, and we've been lucky enough here on Talking About Cars to basically talk with just about all the announcers, I believe, except for Bob Varsha. I think we've missed him a couple of times, but we'll get you, Bob. One of these days, we'll get you on the show, but we pretty much had all the other people on. You know, you could tell how infectious the their interest in cars and doing the show and, and talking about what they know, and people love that. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, what, what people don't realize, maybe, obviously, or the viewers, is we got to go on the hunt. We got to find these cars. We got to find passion cars that we feel really strong that we're going to speak on. And 
we got to try to articulate that to the viewer and bring him into this environment. So for me, it was really important to really stick to things that I felt really strong about. But subject matter is super important, you know, and I tried as a, as a, as a commentator, I tried to really articulate things that you don't get to see. So the guys up on the block are going to talk about the engine. They're going to talk about the drivetrain. They're going to talk about chassis. They're going to talk about all these things. What I want to talk about is things that you didn't see shaved door handles, all the gutters gone, all these little things, paint schemes, interior patterns, all this stuff that I feel, um, it, the viewer gets a lot more that they were hoping for as they're sitting in the living room seeing this car go on the block. So um, I really try to take them uh, from a viewer's perspective, me putting myself in the, in the living room and saying, wow, I wish they would have talked about this or that. Um, so that was really unique to me. And, I, and again, you can see that passion going through with everybody talking about their subject. You've had a chance to go as just a person to watch it for like most of us and you've had a chance to work behind the scenes what was maybe the one thing that comes to mind when you think about something that kind of surprised you that you didn't know or that surprised you about the Barrett Jackson auction from a behind the scenes point of view yeah I think I think what I what I didn't know is is I've sold cars there so I've been on I've been on both sides right just viewing it um and now working it and then also selling. So I think people, people have this uh, preconceived that if we show a car on air, it's going to help them sell it. You know, and that really isn't the case. The buyer's already on the ground. If the buyer's not on the ground, um, he's on the phone and he's done his research. He or she has done their research. They know what they're going after. Um, so that little few seconds that we show the car, that's good for the viewer. But the buyers, let me tell you, man, the buyers know exactly why they're there, and they're, they, they're, they specifically are, have handpicked what they want to bid on. And if, they, if, if you don't believe that, that's where, that's where you see, you have to just look out for a second, especially as a seller, and just watch the people. They, they've been reading that magazine and understand that docket pretty good. Cars, maybe the numbers one two or three of the cars that's on the ralph hogan i want that car someday list i want a cuda for sure um 72 um you know what i'm not even 71 actually would be better 71 um i definitely want and, and i i want a mustang 68 67 mustang not not Fastback has to be. Oh yeah, half bullet has to be a fat. Yeah, exactly. Keep naming them. Um, and you know, I know this is far fetched, but anyone can dream, man. But I definitely have to own a Bugatti, not a new one. I I wouldn't own a new one. I would own an old one. I have to own. I mean, I'm talking Ralph Lauren collection, 1925 Bugatti. I mean, that's. You could take all the cars away and just give me one of those. I'll be okay. Ralph, uh, if you're going to sell, I think you have a uh, a buyer. I'm just saying, <laughs> Ralph, if you're listening, and I know you are, eventually, I got a buyer here for you. Bugatti, that could. Oh, no, why a Bugatti? Just the lines, you know. I think I I look at cars as art forms, you know, and I and and I like to dive in to and I, and I think you and I comment this a little earlier is like all the things. What were they thinking? And when they built when they built those cars, I mean, 
way ahead of its time but the lines the rivets the feeling of it the 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 way it just kind of flows all the way through i mean visually even right now as i'm talking to you and there's not there's no bugatti or anywhere near us i can literally feel and see all the lines so i love the designer's standpoint of what were they thinking and how uh they handmade so many beautiful things uh and it, to me it's just it's just a piece of art it is an un unbelievable I would obviously we always call the cars women, but that is one of the sexiest, sexiest cars with all the lines that looks like a woman. It's so beautiful. Which Bugatti are we talking about? Okay, and this is a Type 57C, and this is a 1938 Bugatti. So the last time it exchanged hands, it was $40 million. The 1936 sold for $40 million. So, <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a far, 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 far away car. But never Dude, you're on TV. You'll be able to afford that next Thursday. You could dream. We could dream, right? <laughs> oh, hey, I, I love it. Next Thursday. Wow, you have the date exactly. Never. I, am, I am optimistic about you and your show. I, I've seen the show. It's a great show. You know, in fact... Uh, one of the cars that I saw I thought was really interesting, and that was the 55 Chevy Desk. I, 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 you got to tell me the story behind that. Okay, so uh, these... Literally, it's a desk. Yeah, so these guys wanted to do, and I, I tried to talk them out of doing an actual car and just letting us mock one up from, uh, uh, obviously, one of the now prefabricated cars. But no, no, they had to have something from that era. So I was like, oh, gosh, it hurt. It hurt. It hurt me having to tear a car apart. Uh, but we did find one that was really bad. And, and you know, it would have taken a lot to make it a survivor. But um, what I love about being able to do something like this is not only that we built this beautiful 1955 convertible desk, but it'll live for many, many years. I mean, one thing that's good is this car will never be in a car crash. So um, it sits in the middle, it sits here in Long Beach, it's in the middle of a beautiful office space and it's their reception area. And it is the talk of the town. I mean, it, it is just beautiful in that original red with that off-white, I mean, it, it, it's stunning. It, it is absolutely stunning. And to visualize what we're talking about, it's a 55 Chevy convertible with the two-tone that you you see a lot a lot on the 55s. But instead of the interior per se, you do have the you do have the instrument panel in there. You do have the period correct steering wheel. But you've pulled out basically the seats and somehow managed to put a desk where if you walk into the lobby, someone's sitting there, you have the lady with the you know earphone in, uh, in her ear or whatever it is, and, and basically it's a desk. Yeah, we've cut out half of the driver's door and completely have taken the, the entire pan out so um, and then uh, encased it all and surrounded it with the, this beautiful marble desk that allows them to, to have kind of like a half moon, half moon um, in, uh, desk with their computers behind them, but like you said, all the IP working, everything working really nice. You got your beautiful vintage radio, everything, all the dials. Um, and if they ever wanted to put this car back together, they, they actually could. And there's not, there's not, besides the pan missing, we would have to put the pan back in, but you'd have a beautiful 55 uh, working car that it's gonna need an engine and a transmission and a, <laughs> and a chassis, but that's not too bad. Your show, uh, RMD Garage, and you can see it on Velocity and also Discovery Network, um, 
it's interesting because a lot of car shows nowadays, you see uh, Chip Foose do this, where, and that's one of his big things. Before they do the overhauling, they, he draws. He draws his big masterpiece. He puts it on the wall and all this other stuff. I saw a quote from you that said that you failed art class but went to the School of Hard Knocks. Did you really fail art class? I sure did. <laughs> I sure did. You know what? I was uh, I was a knucklehead, man. I remember thinking, I was like, oh, gosh. The uh, only reason I ended up passing art class after was uh, the lady said, okay, well, I, I, you dress pretty cool, so uh, we're going to make you a model and stand there, don't move, and I'll give you credit for it. But in terms of drawing, yeah, I, would, I, wouldn't, I couldn't draw two sticks, but... Uh, you know that that doesn't that shouldn't be my deterrent. You know, I I, I now I look at everything so differently, um, and I push myself and I watch Chip. I watch Chip and uh, and watch the way he sketches, and he's such a brilliant artist. And 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 any of those artists that are out there, I can only hope that I'm five percent of what they do. And so you know what, all I can do is give it a shot and not not give up. And I'm sketching every time I get a chance. Um, and to try to teach myself. So I think it's something anybody out there don't don't give up. I mean, there's always a chance to try to get better at whatever it is that you're doing. Another guy who sketches is Dave Kendig, and you did something interesting with him. You you put together his semi-truck. And now, how long ago was this built? Because I remember seeing it at the Classic Auto Show, and maybe this was a different truck, but he had the one at the Classic Auto Show uh, out at the L.A. Convention Center. Yeah. Was that the same truck? No, no, very different. As a matter of fact, that's what drew me over to Dave. I had seen what he had at the Classic Auto Show, and me being involved with uh, so much marketing and so many automotive marketing trailers, um, I had a chance to kind of really talk to him about taking his, uh, his uh, brand experience and consumer engagement experience to another level. Um, and it was perfect. We worked, uh, it was a great, it was a great partnership and I know how creative he is and, and the design side in terms of all the graphics and everything he had. And then I was able to infuse my creativity of, uh, bringing, uh, his environment to life, giving him the step and repeats that, that huge arch, um, overhang that went onto his observation deck and all, all his, all his banners, his backdrops, his counters, and then designing all the inside to make sure that it worked. And working together with him, it worked out perfect. And again, just to echo what you were saying, if you can visualize this in the listening audience, he's got the tractor trailer rig and he literally has, it almost looks like a guard tower over the truck. I mean, that that's a great idea. Where did that come from? You know, he wanted to do something up there to get away and really kind of what I call the VIP experience, right? If you're if you're any other brands out there, you kind of look for a place to kind of get away and, and see the surround. So this observation deck was something that already existed, but it wasn't refined. It didn't have it didn't have really the look that I thought was the Dave Kendig look. And uh, we, we, we essentially refined all that and gave, gave it that, that, that show quality that all his cars already do when they're on the ground. And not only that, can we have a, a great backdrop that really um, accentuates and, and gives those cars all that, all that, um, that extra crisp. But, but more than that was really the consumer experience. There's so many fans, there's so many, so much affinity for Dave. It was about creating a, a place where they could all hang out and really fall in love again and continue that affinity. 
somebody's listening to this and they're thinking, you know, how cool is this guy's life? I mean, he's doing a TV show. He's working with cars. He's getting a chance to do something I would do anything for. What, what advice would you give to somebody who kind of want to wants to go down that same road? You know, the whole thing for me, and, and, and that's perfect. You, you, you say that, right? So to the eye, you just see all the stuff that's glorified and all the stuff. But you got to remember the hard work that goes into everything. There's no day that we're not here grinding, making sure that we are at the forefront of what's next, at the forefront of design, at the forefront of creativity. And that, that the hustle and the struggle is real. You know, they always say, you know, uh, the dream is free and the hustle is sold separately. The truth is that we're one of the hardest working agencies, garages, brands that you could find here because we're so grounded and we're so, it's so important for us to continue to push beyond. And, and, and we now reap the benefits of having such a great environment, but it comes at a great, great expense and it comes at great sweat and tears. And that's, for us, it's really important to continue to push that, to continue to, uh, um, to evolve and continue to grow. I mean, it's super important for us. Just a couple of questions before we let you go. And thank you so much. You've been so generous with your time. Again, Ralph Holguin from RMD Garage. Uh, we ask people, even on the street, some of these questions because it's always fun to get not only people on the street, but people who are in shows and give them some general ideas. But uh, what's your best running out of gas story? <laughs> That's so messed up. <laughs> oh, God. I tell you, man. I'll tell you, when I started to... Uh, to grow and and obviously you guys everybody that's made some money and goes and buys themselves so i bought myself a mercedes 500 s-class and uh we were in the city of torrance and uh we weren't looking at the needle and needless to say we ran out of gas so here we have this 500 s-class white beautiful sitting on some rims it looks amazing we're about a block away from the gas station and we have to push it to the gas station. And I remember, I remember, <laughs> I remember these people pulling up next to us and asking us if you need help. And we're like, yeah. And they're like, go F yourself. <laughs> and, and we're like, oh, my. it was, it was, it was the most embarrassing, funniest thing that now we can laugh at. We laughed at it then, but oh yeah, that, that's something. Uh, you know, when you see the light turning yellow, it's not going to get purple. It, 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 it's pretty much yellow. So, uh, you know, uh, people tell me, man, every time we jump in your car, you're out of gas. It's, you're, what are you waiting for? For it to turn purple, it's not going to turn purple. It's yellow, it's done. It's out of gas. So, yeah. That what would purple even mean? I know what green is. I know what red is. I know what yellow is. What would purple even mean in cars? Yeah, that, that, yeah you're <laughs> out of luck. I don't know. <laughs> You're out of even oxygen. You're out of fumes. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, that was, that was uh, pretty embarrassing. And, uh, hey, you know, I'm glad it happened. <laughs> we, get some, we get some chuckles out of it now. Thing you did with your parents' car in your parents' car that to this day they don't know about. Oh, man. You know, I, I was too young, so I didn't, I didn't do much with my parents' car. But my wife's parents' car... <laughs> That Regal, that Regal had some great shocks. I'll tell you, that Re that Regal had some great shocks, and, uh, and 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 so so we had a light green Regal, man, and it was it was. Uh, let's just say it was foggy. 
It was always, it was always. That was just from the inside. Thank you. Hey. <laughs> yeah, it was always foggy. <laughs> I, I, I'm sure if they're around still, they're going to be happy to learn about that. And thank you for sharing, by the way. That's, that's actually very cool. All right. So just so we know, RMD Garage is uh, on Discovery and it's on um, Velocity. Velocity yeah. and, and you guys have a second season coming up. Well, well we hope, you know, everything's going good. Uh, the exciting part is we actually air on Discovery and Espanol, which is so cool uh, to really kind of uh, hear it in our, in our in my native tongue and uh, be able to see that and 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 obviously across the world be able to see uh, maybe a, a different affinity for for us that uh, that um, we love uh, what we've gotten in the states and the goal is that we continue to build uh, great beautiful things and then allow the viewer to really take them through that journey. So we're, we're excited, man. Every Wednesday on Velocity, tune in. We got a few episodes left, and then our reruns have been doing really good. Uh, so we're really excited about that, um, to be able to see them come back and, and now, uh, n you know, watch the shows again and, and, uh, and see the funniness. Like the Beatle we just built and watching the we – we were at the John Edmonds and, uh, and Austin's, uh, Austin Edmonds uh, business uh, while we watched the episode with them and just seeing their uh, their 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 life come to light and their their hearts uh, open to to something that they thought would never get built. I mean, that's what it's about. Moments like that. That's Ralph Holguin of RMD Garage, which airs on Discovery's Velocity Channel. Check your local listing for the time it airs. A reminder, if you're listening to us at KNX1070.com, Radio.com, or even TalkingAboutCars.net, you can check out some of our previous interviews with the likes of Jay Leno, Chip Foose, Richard Carpenter, and Dave Kindig on iTunes and SoundCloud. And check out our videos on TalkingAboutCars.net and our Facebook page. And follow us on social media, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Until next time, I'm Randy Cardoon. Join me as we have some fun talking about cars.